0: Listener discretion is advised. This episode features descriptions of rape, violence, and suicide that may be upsetting. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13.
1: Describing an up-and-coming French officer, General Charles-Pierre-Francois Augereau proclaimed, That little expletive of a general actually frightened me.
0: The general he was referring to was Napoleon Bonaparte, who in the spring of 1796 was just beginning his career as the new commander of the Army of Italy. And he was right to be frightened. Napoleon's ambition would lead him to conquer a large portion of Western Europe, establishing the first French
1: empire. But Napoleon was following in the footsteps of other world conquerors. Building empires is a tale as old as time amongst despots.
0: Of course, it's not just any tyrant that can succeed at conquering an entire region. Creating and maintaining an empire takes both ambition and also brilliant military strategy.
1: Alexander the Great built his empire having never lost a battle. Attila the Hun, meanwhile, proved to be one of the few quote-unquote barbarians to strike fear into the Romans, and Napoleon lost only seven of the 60 battles he fought over 20 years.
0: This season of Dictators, we're exploring the lives of some of history's greatest world conquerors.
1: Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard.
0: And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: Today we're exploring the life of Alexander the Great, who, while still in his twenties, conquered one of the largest empires in history. Despite only reigning as King of Macedonia for thirteen years, Alexander remains one of the most famous rulers in history.
0: Not only for his accomplishments, however, some historians believe Alexander paid a bloody price for his success. He was a ruthless dictator and a violent mass murderer.
1: This week, we'll look at how Alexander's father laid the foundation for his success, the colorful stories of Alexander's youth, and his first battles against the mightiest empire in the world. Next
0: week, we'll explore Alexander's final showdown with Darius III, his journey into India, and his sudden, surprising death.
1: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
0: Any story about Alexander the Great has to start with his father, Philip II.
1: Philip laid the foundations for Alexander's rule. He reformed the Macedonian kingdom Alexander would inherit. He laid the groundwork in uniting the Greek cities for a war against Persia. And most importantly, he created the army Alexander would use to conquer the world.
0: The Macedonia that Philip inherited was a politically inconsequential backwater. Situated on the edges of the Greek world, the country was considered semi-barbarous by its neighbors to the south. The Macedonians spoke a Greek dialect and shared many customs and gods with other Greeks, but they were also noticeably, uncomfortably different.
1: For one, Macedonia was a monarchy. While some Greek city-states were once ruled by kings, monarchy had been on its way out centuries ago. Many Greek intellectuals considered the practice outdated.
0: Macedonia's kings also practiced polygamy. Both Philip and Alexander would take multiple wives throughout their reigns. This, too, was viewed as strange by many Greeks.
1: This cultural censure of Macedonia did not help the kingdom garner power on an international stage. But it wasn't the country's only problem.
0: At the time of Philip's birth, sometime around 383 BCE, the kingdom was in decline. Macedonia had been weakened by decades of internal power struggles and pressure from Thracians and Illyrians, various groups of Northern non-Greek peoples who frequently raided Macedonian territory.
1: The Macedonians found no respite from the south either, as a new military power had emerged on the Greek mainland the city-state of Thebes.
0: Thebes did ultimately agree to help protect Macedonia from its neighbors, but in exchange, the city-state demanded noble hostages, including a young Philip.
1: The prince lived in Thebes for about three years. It's possible that he learned warfare from Theban commanders during this time. Certainly, he got a close look at the chaotic, ever-shifting nature of Greek politics and rivalries.
0: Around the age of 17, he took his unlikely education home to Macedonia and the palace of his older brother Perdiccas, the reigning king.
1: But in his absence, Macedonia had not gotten stronger. Despite the aid of Thebes, they were still struggling with the Illyrians.
0: And within a few years, Perdiccas was killed in battle against the raiders, along with some 4,000 of his soldiers, at least a third of the Macedonian army.
1: Thus, when Philip ascended to the Macedonian throne in 359 BCE at the age of 22 or 23, the country was on the verge of collapse. It was surrounded by enemies and overrun by Illyrians. Meanwhile, the new king had limited experience. Yet Philip threw himself into the fray with a resolve and strength of will that had not been displayed by a Macedonian king in generations. First, he used his natural charm and confidence to raise the morale of the Macedonians, convincing them that the kingdom's problems could be overcome.
0: Next, he began a complete overhaul of the Macedonian military, a process that likely developed gradually over several years, but ultimately produced a military that operated with the precision of a machine.
1: And it wasn't just a copy of the Greek city-state militaries, either. Philip innovated. While
0: Greek armies used a large circular shield called a hoplon, a long thrusting spear, and a bronze helmet, Philip introduced the sarissa, a pike between 16 and 18 feet long. It was so large it had to be held with both hands. Philip may have invented the sarissa himself, or he may have adopted it from unusually long spears sometimes used by the Thracians.
1: Individually, a man with a sarissa was fairly useless because the weapon was so unwieldy. But when men joined together in blocks, They represented a wall of spearheads that was nearly impossible to break head-on. These were the Macedonian phalanxes, which would dominate western battlefields for centuries.
0: Philip used them to eliminate each of Macedonia's threats one by one. He fought off the Athenians and captured their colony at Amphipolis, giving him access to the gold and silver mines of Mount Pangaeon, which proved crucial in the battles to come.
1: Philip also defeated the Illyrians in open battle, the first such Macedonian victory in generations, and subsequently reclaimed large swathes of Macedonia. Philip
0: would go on to successfully pursue many other military conflicts during his reign but he also introduced cultural and political reforms to his kingdom.
1: For example, he greatly expanded the royal pages. The pages were young male servants, the sons of nobility, who were raised at the royal court. This was partly to train them for future leadership positions and partly to keep them as hostages, ensuring their families' loyalty.
0: Some of his reforms didn't have such sinister undertones, though, like his mission to beautify the capital city of Pella and acting as a patron to philosophers, poets, and writers.
1: Famously, he hired the philosopher Aristotle to tutor his son, Alexander.
0: <laughs> Alexander III was born on or around July 20, 356 BCE. His mother was a formidable woman named Olympias, the daughter of a king of the Molossians in Epirus. She was Philip's fifth wife. He eventually married seven or eight women. The ancient historian Plutarch claims that she was a member of a snake-worshipping cult who slept
1: with snakes in her bed. Since Philip was often away on campaign, Alexander was raised by his mother and an impressive series of tutors. One of the first was Lysimachus of Acarnania, and then, when he was about 14, Aristotle took him under his wing.
0: Unfortunately, we don't know much about Alexander's education, only that Aristotle gave his student an annotated copy of the Iliad, which Alexander always carried with him on campaign. Like many Greeks, Alexander sought to emulate the heroic ideals of bravery and martial excellence portrayed in the poem.
1: The boy's childhood as a whole remains mostly a mystery, though he undoubtedly underwent thorough physical training alongside his liberal education. But of course, there are the legends.
0: The most celebrated story from Alexander's childhood is how he tamed his horse, Bucephalus. Supposedly, when Alexander was about 12, a Thessalian merchant came to court with a tall, dark horse named Bucephalus, or Oxhead.
1: The breeder demanded 13 talents of silver, the equivalent of a small fortune. Yet none of Philip's grooms could manage the horse, which seemed uncontrollable. Philip announced he would not purchase the horse.
0: Alexander, however, loudly proclaimed that his father was making a mistake and would miss out on acquiring a truly great steed. What's more, the young prince boasted that he could manage the animal.
1: His father bet him 13 talents that he couldn't.
0: Alexander took the bet, ran to Bucephalus, and turned him toward the sun, for he alone had noticed that the horse was scared of his own shadow.
1: Then, Alexander mounted the horse and galloped off.
0: When he returned, Philip allegedly said that Macedonia was too small for the boy.
1: Whether or not this story is true, Bucephalus was indeed Alexander's favorite horse and bore his master into all of his major battles.
0: Other stories offer a similar theme, that Alexander could not be told what to do. One tutor supposedly scolded Alexander for using too much incense during a religious ceremony. Years later, after he conquered much of the world, Alexander sent the tutor 18 tons of incense and told him not to be stingy in his offerings to the gods.
1: According to historian Adrian Goldsworthy, Determination, restless ambition, and absolute faith in his own abilities, which was usually backed by proof that he was right, run through these tales. There are no stories of Alexander failing. Which means
0: they don't paint a full picture of the boy. Like all children, Alexander undoubtedly had moments of failure. But he was likely an impressive child because in 340 BCE, when he was just 16 years old, Philip made him regent of Macedonia while he was on tour.
1: The young prince's temporary reign was not quiet.
0: Alexander either responded to a threat or invented one and led a military campaign against the Maidae, a group of Thracians. After defeating them, he founded a new city in their territory and named it Alexandropolis.
1: A greater challenge, perhaps the final exam of Alexander's education, came around two years later when Macedonia and Athens were once again in open conflict.
0: Philip marched south on the city, but between the king and Athens lay Thebes, which had been Philip's home during his years as a hostage, and Thebes decided to fight alongside Athens.
1: By the summer of 338 BCE, Philip's army met the combined forces of two city-states.
0: And at some point, Philip put Alexander in charge of the elite Macedonian heavy cavalry, the Companions.
1: If the Macedonian phalanxes were the anvil that held enemy armies in place, the Companions were the hammer that ultimately smashed them. Plutarch
0: reports that Alexander led the decisive charge surrounding the best Theban troops, the Sacred Band. The sacred band were the elite of the Theban army, and according to ancient sources, were made up of 150 pairs of male lovers. It was believed a man would never retreat in front of his lover because the shame would be too great, so the sacred band always fought bravely.
1: Historians have questioned whether the sacred band was really made up of 150 pairs of lovers, as such an organization seems impractical to actually put into practice. Unquestionably, however, the sacred band had the best troops in Thebes, possibly all of Greece.
0: Yet fighting against Alexander, the sacred band was cut down to a man. The remaining Thebans and Athenians panicked
1: and fled. It was by far Alexander's most important test. By his late teens, he led hardened warriors into battle and quite likely delivered the decisive charge against one of the most formidable powers of the day.
0: That was an impressive accomplishment. But for Alexander, the success was probably bittersweet. The true victory belonged to his father, And already, Alexander yearned for glory of his own.
1: Thanks to a shocking murder, he'd get the opportunity very soon.
0: Coming up, a bloody wedding party changes the course of Alexander's life.
2: Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for Season 2 of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of criminal couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs all acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify.
1: Now back to the story.
0: In 338 BCE... Philip II defeated a coalition of Thebes and Athens at the Battle of Chaeronea, securing his hegemony over the Greek city-states. His teenage son, Alexander III, is said to have led the decisive charge and helped win the day.
1: After the battle, Philip stripped Thebes of several rich lands and handed them to his allies. But he was relatively lenient toward Athens. In sum, Philip was magnanimous in victory. As in the words of Plutarch, he would rather be called a good man for a long time than master for a short one.
0: Nevertheless, Philip did set about making himself master of Greece. He established the League of Corinth, an alliance of many Greek city-states over which he was undisputed hegemon.
1: The purpose of the League, besides ensuring Philip's domination of Greece, was to unite the various city-states in preparation for Philip's grand project, the conquest of Persia. The Achaemenid Empire was, up to that
0: point, the largest empire the world had ever seen. Its heartland was in Persia, and its borders stretched from modern-day Pakistan to the Aegean Sea and included Syria and Egypt.
1: It was, in a word, massive, dwarfing the combined territory, population, and wealth of the Greek cities.
0: The Greeks and Persians had been at war on several occasions in the past, so their quarreling was anything but new.
1: Some Greek thinkers, dismayed by the endless struggles among the city-states, saw the solution to national unity in a combined invasion of Persia.
0: This may well have been one of Philip's motivations for planning his invasion. By directing Greeks' hostility outwards against a foreign enemy, he would secure his own position as hegemon.
1: And while he probably didn't envision himself conquering all of Persia, that empire was phenomenally wealthy, so even a limited campaign offered the promise of rich spoils.
0: We do not know whether Philip planned on taking Alexander with him to Persia or leaving him as regent of Macedonia. If the latter, then the restless and ambitious Alexander likely would have burned with resentment at the thought of being stuck at home. Even if Philip had planned to take Alexander with him, though, the young prince would likely have begrudged playing second fiddle to anyone, even his father.
1: Either way... Alexander's probable resentment helps explain the falling out that soon occurred between father and son.
0: (laughs) The trouble began in 337 BCE, when Philip, age 45, married once again, his seventh or possibly eighth wife. Part of the celebration involved a wine-soaked feast.
1: Drunk, Alexander threw his cup at a guest who had offended him. Philip, also drunk, stood up and drew his sword, then tripped and planted his face on the ground.
0: Alexander apparently proclaimed, Look, everyone, here is the man who is preparing to cross from Europe to Asia, and he is upset in trying to cross from one couch to another.
1: Philip was furious at his son so furious that Alexander fled Macedonia with his mother, seeking safety for her in Epirus, and then for himself with an Illyrian. But after a few months, Philip's anger cooled and he sent for Alexander to return.
0: Still, we don't know whether animosity continued to simmer between them. For the time being, Philip continued to mark Alexander out as his heir but Alexander became
1: increasingly convinced that he was being marginalized. Philip, meanwhile, prepared for the invasion of Persia. In the spring of 336 BCE, an advance guard crossed into Asia Minor and steadily won over the Greek communities in the area. At the moment, Philip looked forward to winning undreamed of glory and riches in Persia while Alexander stewed in his own juices.
0: But then, history took a very violent and unexpected turn. Some years earlier, Philip had taken a teenage boy named Pausanias as a lover. The affair didn't last, and Philip soon abandoned Pausanias for another youth, also named Pausanias.
1: The first Pausanias, his pride wounded, insulted the second Pausanias. The second Pausanias, equally resentful, tried to prove himself in battle where he was killed. But the second, now dead Pausanias, had been friends with an older man named Attalus, who decided to get revenge on the first Pausanias.
0: Attalus invited him to a drinking party, and once Pausanias was drunk, Attalus and his noble guests beat and possibly raped him. Attalus then permitted his mule drivers to gang-rape the youth.
1: Pausanias told the king what had happened, but unfortunately, Attalus was the uncle of Philip's new wife. So rather than punish Attalus, Philip instead tried to mollify Pausanias by making him one of his seven royal bodyguards, a position of great honor.
0: Pausanias, however, was not placated. According to Adrian Goldsworthy, he was angry not just at the man who had attacked him, but at Philip, the king who had failed to give justice to someone who had once been a favorite.
1: The seed of the tragedy bore fruit in 336 BCE at the wedding of Philip's daughter Cleopatra, who was marrying her uncle Alexander of Epirus. During the great feast that followed, Philip arrived at the tail end of a magnificent procession accompanied by his seven royal bodyguards.
0: As Philip basked in the applause of thousands of guests, Pausanias suddenly ran at him. The youth drew a dagger and stabbed Philip between the ribs. Within moments, the king of Macedonia was dead.
1: Pausanias tried to flee but he tripped on a route and was killed on the spot by Philip's other bodyguards.
0: Before the day was out, one of Philip's most trusted generals, the 63-year-old Antipater, stepped in. He grabbed Alexander and placed him before a group of Philip's officers, who proclaimed the 20-year-old king by banging their spears against their shields.
1: Some have speculated that Alexander, his mother, or some other Macedonian power player was really behind the assassination. Alexander himself would later accuse the king of Persia of taking an active hand in Philip's murder.
0: There's no proof of this, and Pausanias may well have acted alone. But even if no one else was behind the assassination, that did not
1: mean Alexander was safe. So he decided to ensure his safety, with a bloody political purge. On the
0: new king's orders, or perhaps his mother's, several of Alexander's rivals were seized and executed. Many of them were relatives.
1: Attalus was killed, as was his niece, Philip's last wife, along with her baby daughter.
0: Even the horses Pausanias had tried to escape upon were executed.
1: With that, Alexander had secured his place as king. Macedonians fell in line, but that didn't guarantee the rest of Greece would too. When news of Philip's murder reached Athens, the city searched for allies to support a potential uprising against Macedonian hegemony.
0: Alexander acted with characteristic swiftness. First, he marched to Thessaly which stumbled over itself to promise loyalty to the new king. Then he moved south and called for a meeting of the League of Corinth, whereupon he was voted the coalition's new leader.
1: Without bloodshed and before anyone could really fathom what was happening, Alexander had secured the obedience of Greece.
0: Upon entering Corinth, it is said, Alexander enjoyed, or was made to endure, a long procession of prominent men who came to praise him. Somebody who wasn't impressed, however, was a famed philosopher named Diogenes the Cynic.
1: Diogenes rejected worldly values. He slept in a barrel and lived on the street. Cynic derives from a Greek word meaning dog-like.
0: When Alexander noticed Diogenes hadn't come to pay his respects, the young king decided to seek him out. He soon found the philosopher napping in the sun.
1: As the king approached, Diogenes sat up. Alexander waited for the philosopher to say something, but Diogenes remained silent. Finally, the king, now the most powerful man in Greece, asked him if he wanted anything, to which Diogenes responded, yes, stand a little out of my son.
0: Alexander was so impressed by the philosopher's impudence that he declared, if I were not Alexander, I would be
1: Diogenes. Or so the story goes. In any case, just as Alexander received the acclaim of the Greeks, word reached him that the Thracians on Macedonia's northern border had been inspired by Philip's death and were causing trouble.
0: Alexander raced north to fight his first campaign, during which, according to historian Paul Cartledge, he avoided a torrent of wagons hurled down on his troops through the narrow Shipka Pass, deployed long-range artillery to provide covering fire as he crossed the Danube on floats improvised from animal skins stuffed with straw, and terrified the Illyrians by a demonstration of Macedonian drill in marching and counter-marching.
1: No sooner had Alexander walloped the Thracians and Illyrians, however, than he learned that Thebes was leading a major revolt in Greece. In 13 days, Alexander marched his army 300 miles, stunning the Thebans.
0: Alexander offered them a chance to surrender, but they decided to resist. So the Macedonians besieged their city and soon took it by storm.
1: During the sacking, one Macedonian officer seized a Theban noblewoman named Timoclea, raped her, then ordered her to surrender her riches.
0: Timoclea told him they were hidden in a well. As the officer bent over to look down the well, she pushed him into it, then dropped stones onto him until he was dead. The officer's men brought her before Alexander. Alexander.
1: But the king wasn't outraged that she had killed one of his officers. He was impressed by her dignity, so he gave his protection to her family and set them free.
0: The rest of the city was not so lucky. The new king decided to make an example of it to ensure the loyalty of other Greek city-states. Some 30,000 Thebans were sold into slavery. The city's buildings were burned to the ground.
1: Only the temples and the home of the poet Pindar were spared.
0: But this act of domination
1: was only the beginning for Alexander. The young king was driven by boundless ambition, a deep longing to outdo not only his father, but any other Greek who had ever lived.
0: To satisfy that hungry ambition, Alexander turned back to his father's grand project, the invasion of Persia.
1: Coming up, Alexander takes on the Achaemenid Empire, facing off against the King of Kings. Now, back to the story.
0: In 336 BCE, 20-year-old Alexander III inherited the kingdom of Macedonia from his father, Philip II. After campaigning against the Thracians and Illyrians and destroying the Greek city of Thebes, Alexander felt his position at home was strong, strong enough to resume the invasion of Persia begun by his father.
1: In the spring of 334 BCE, the king crossed the Dardanelles into Asia. It's difficult to say the size of the army he took with him, but estimates put it between 35,000 and 40,000 men.
0: It would have taken some time for the news of Alexander's crossing to reach Darius III, the Achaemenid Shahanshah, or King of Kings, whose capital was in modern Iran. But even then, it's unlikely that the Persians would have been especially concerned by the invasion.
1: The Greeks had launched attacks on Persia before. But the empire's resources were so vast that Darius would have been content to let his local rulers, or satraps, deal with Alexander. While
0: Alexander made his way across Phrygia in modern Turkey, the local Persian forces assembled. They were led by the satrap of Phrygia, a man named Arcites.
1: The army of Arsaces included many other powerful satraps and noblemen, including one married to Darius' daughter.
0: The size of their force is difficult to determine, and it is not clear whether they outnumbered Alexander or the other way around.
1: But regardless, Alexander marched to meet them undaunted. Borrowing from his father's strategy, he did not take the full army. That would have been slower and more difficult to supply. Instead, he took a force of around 20,000 men, including all of his cavalry. The two forces met at the River Granicus. Military convention holds that you shouldn't attack an enemy where he is strongest, nor fight him on the ground of his choosing. And the Persian forces arrived at Granicus first. Thus, Alexander's commanders reportedly urged caution.
0: Yet, in a theme that was to repeat itself over and over again, Alexander broke the rules and was proven right.
1: The Satraps had deployed their formidable cavalry near the riverbank, where they could oppose Alexander's crossing, but they left their infantry much further back. Likely, the Persians
0: did not expect Alexander to actually attack so suddenly, and so only brought their cavalry forward to intimidate him. But once Alexander moved forward, the horsemen had no choice but to meet him without their
1: infantry. Alexander led the companion cavalry himself and struggled to force his way across the river. The Persian cavalry threw a storm of javelins at him, and the king responded by charging straight at their strongest point.
0: The longer spears of the Macedonian cavalry gave them an advantage, and they steadily pushed the Persians back. Alexander himself killed one of the satraps, a man named Mithridates, before receiving a blow on his helmet.
1: The brother of Mithridates then came up behind Alexander and was a moment away from striking him with a sword. But before the man could swing, one of Alexander's officers hacked off his arm.
0: Meanwhile, more and more of the Macedonian army forced its way across the river, and soon the Persian cavalry broke and fled. The Persian infantry, abandoned by their satraps, were surrounded and massacred by the Macedonians.
1: Though Arcides survived the battle, he soon died by suicide.
0: With the Persian army dispersed, the cities around Phrygia wisely surrendered to Alexander, who pragmatically accepted their submission. At Ephesus, on the western coast of modern Turkey, the Macedonians celebrated and
1: rested. Here, Alexander took a break to sit for a portrait by the renowned painter Apelles. Alexander did not approve of the first version of the portrait, which merely portrayed him atop Bucephalus. But then
0: Apelles revised the painting to feature Alexander holding a thunderbolt like Zeus. The king loved the new version so much that he paid Apelles 20 talents, a literal fortune. Then he declared that the painter was the only man to do his official portrait.
1: With that out of the way, Alexander returned to campaigning the Persian Navy threatened his supply lines and communication link with Macedonia and Greece. Rather than risk a naval engagement, Alexander resolved to capture every possible harbor, denying the Navy the chance to resupply and thus defeating them from the shore.
0: So he traveled south along the coast, capturing harbors along the way. At Halicarnassus, whose famed mausoleum was one of the seven wonders of the world, he and his men settled into a siege.
1: But he didn't have time to stay till the siege triumphed. He had other ports to conquer. So before the fighting was over, he appointed a local queen, Ada, to run the area, and moved on and eventually ended up in Gordium, which he reached in spring 333 BCE.
0: In this city... The site of an ancient grave was marked by a wagon fastened to a pole with an unusually complex knot. It was said that whoever was able to undo the knot would become the leader of all of Asia. In the decades, perhaps centuries, since this so-called Gordian knot was fastened, no one had figured out a way to untie it.
1: When Alexander arrived, he drew his sword and hacked through the Gordian knot. Puzzle solved. Or so the story goes.
0: Some believe the whole incident is pure fabrication. Others contend that Alexander may well have undone the knot by some means. Regardless, one ancient historian remarked that Alexander used the occasion to announce publicly for the first time that he claimed the overlordship of all of Asia, that is, the Persian Empire.
1: It's difficult to say whether Alexander truly hoped to conquer the whole of the empire from the outset of his campaign, or if each success merely encouraged him to reach for more. The Macedonian
0: victories thus far were impressive.
1: But considering the vastness of the Achaemenid empire and the depths of its resources, victory was still far from assured.
0: It took a long time for the King of Kings to assemble a serious army. But by the summer of 333 BCE, Darius had put together a massive force in Babylon, the heart of the Persian Empire. Ancient sources suggest the army consisted of at least 400,000 men. While this is likely an exaggeration, the army was undeniably far larger than anything Alexander could hope
1: to field and now it was heading straight towards the Macedonians, led by the King of Kings himself.
0: Darius had 700 miles to traverse across his empire to get to Alexander, which gave the Macedonians a few months' grace period. Alexander used it to overwhelm Cilicia in modern southern
1: Turkey. But in late October 333 BCE, the day came. Darius's camp was just 12 miles away.
0: Darius, recognizing that he could only keep his massive army in the field for so long, sought out the Macedonians for a decisive battle. He captured Issus, a settlement in Cilicia, and executed Alexander's sick and wounded soldiers who had been convalescing there, perhaps to goad Alexander into a fight.
1: If so, it worked, despite the fact that the Macedonians were likely outnumbered at least two to one and had the more advantageous position on the far side of a riverbank.
0: On his side of the river, the King of Kings rode a magnificent chariot at the center of his army, protected by thousands of elite cavalry.
1: Alexander, meanwhile, led his forces himself. According to Adrian Goldsworthy, the 23-year-old Alexander rode up and down his line, talking to each unit in turn, addressing commanders by name, encouraging all ranks. Cheers greeted him, soldiers urging him to order the attack. A report by the ancient historian Arian
0: suggests that Alexander charged impetuously across the water and attacked the Persian cavalry in front of him. Possibly at the head of a contingent of infantry rather than his companions. Meanwhile, his phalanxes struggled to cross the river and attack Darius' heavy infantry.
1: On the other side of the battle, the Persian cavalry pushed forward and attacked Alexander's cavalry, threatening to dislodge them. Alexander, however, pushed back the forces opposing him, creating a gap in Darius' line and allowing more and more Macedonian soldiers to cross the river.
0: If Alexander wasn't already with his cavalry, he joined them now and led an oblique charge against Darius's center. Alexander pushed toward the King of Kings, defeating a bodyguard unit commanded by Darius's brother, but likely receiving a leg wound in the process. Darius, spooked by Alexander and his companions charging down on him, turned and
1: ran. With their king fleeing, the Persian will to fight collapsed. The Achaemenid army wasn't completely annihilated, but thousands died, and although they lost plenty of men too, the Macedonians were victorious.
0: It was a far more important and glorious victory for Alexander than Darius. He had met and defeated the king of kings in person. It is said that when Alexander captured Darius's camp, he cleaned himself in the bath that had been prepared for the Persian king.
1: Besides his bathwater, Alexander also captured Darius's family, including his wife, children, and mother, whom he treated with respect.
0: The biggest prize of all came soon
1: after, when Alexander's men captured the
0: city of Damascus, the city where Darius had stored his treasury and baggage train before the battle.
1: In all, Alexander may have seized around 3,000 talents of gold and silver, each talent weighing perhaps 57 pounds. The king also captured several thousand pounds of gold vessels and jewels and a significant haul of silks, incense, and other luxuries.
0: Plus, several thousand captured servants and Darius's 329 concubines.
1: Such a humbling reversal meant that Darius could no longer view Alexander as a mere nuisance the King of Kings sent a message asking for an alliance and offering a generous ransom for his family. But
0: to stop and settle for only half of the Persian Empire, for only half of the world, that was apparently unthinkable for Alexander.
1: He responded to the offer by claiming all of Asia as his own. He told Darius that if he still desired to be king, he ought to stand his ground, not retreat. For if he did run, Alexander would pursue him to the ends of the earth.
0: As it happened, Darius would run, and Alexander would chase him further than perhaps any Greek had ever gone before, over blistering deserts and freezing mountains. There was nowhere Alexander's ambition wouldn't take him.
1: Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll explore Alexander's pursuit of Darius and the long, grueling campaign to secure his empire. For
0: more information on Alexander the Great, amongst the many sources we used, we found Philip and Alexander, Kings and Conquerors, by Adrian Goldsworthy to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
1: We'll see you next
0: time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Dictators was written by Devin Hughes, with writing assistance by Tony Goodman and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Bradley Klein. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rosner. It's been said that love is a
2: many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify.